Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Love that lasts is our topic. Uh, We're in our fourth week of this. I'm going to pray. Today we are discussing the topic of God's design for sex and sexuality. I've given you three or four weeks to prepare. Apparently this is something that you're excited about learning uh, because our biggest crowd we've had since last Easter, I believe. And um, uh, so so I do want to let you know this is something that I have prayed and prayed and prayed about. I have tried everything to, to let God let me out of this. It's not a comfortable topic. It's not something, any, it, already as a pastor, the Bible says that those who teach God's word will be judged higher than anyone else. But it's not judged higher by God necessarily. It's judged higher by y'all. Because I'm the one putting my words and my thoughts out there to be captured and screenshotted and whatever, all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people that would judge the things that I might say today. But I'm gonna take the risk and I'm gonna obey God because I think it's important that the church takes a stand and is the authority on something that God actually created. Amen? So pray with me. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would release your word. Father, nobody is here to hear clever thoughts from another human being. We're here to hear directly from you, from your voice to our ears. Father, release your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time I spoke to you, I spoke about the original design of mankind. I spoke about how um, man was made in God's image, male and female, were all a part of a single body, uh, fully self-contained, but there was an unmet need of companionship, and so God literally took the feminine, not all of it, but a big portion of the feminine outside of man, left the the, the, the majority of the masculine inside of man, but some masculine, women still have masculine traits, men still have some feminine traits, has no bearing on your sexuality at all whatsoever. It's a lie of the enemy that wants to convince people, females that are maybe a little bit more tomboyish that their sexuality is in question, men who are more artistic that their sexuality in question, it's absolutely false. It's a lie of the enemy to deceive people and draw people away from the true identity of Jesus Christ. One of the biggest problems inside of our nation today is that we are stuck in the middle of a war with temporary surface identities. Skin color versus skin color. Class versus class. Gender versus gender. And instead of us unifying around the identity of Jesus, we separate, even as the church of Jesus Christ, we separate over temporary surface, lower level, false identities. Your gender doesn't matter in heaven. Your economic class doesn't matter in heaven. The color of your skin doesn't matter in heaven. These are temporary things. They're not eternal. Are they important? Sure. Should we stand up for the rights of people? Absolutely. But the identity that we represent is Jesus Christ. That is our identity. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is our identity. Amen? We talked about the secret to a great marriage being selflessness. Selfishness kills a marriage. Selfishness creates bitterness and ungratefulness and discord. 
Selflessness creates serving and love and harmony and unity. Marriage is an intensifier. I've heard people think and I've heard people say, not hear them think, that would be really strange if I could hear people. That would be amazing if I could hear people think. Oh, I'd be calling you out. <laughs> um, I, I've heard people say that once we get married, it'll make everything better, and I would laugh. It might make everything worse. Marriage is an intensifier. Marriage intensifies everything. Any problem that you have, any weakness that you have, shall be exploited inside of marriage. Because you have someone that lives with you, sleeps next to you, smells you, <laughs> hears you at your worst and at your weakest, and somehow still loves you. But our flaws can become dripping water torture over time, over years. It can intensify. It's important that we recognize that God designed marriage. It is the absolute best course for mankind. He said it is not good for mankind to be alone. He created marriage as a picture of the father, or pardon me, of the son and the church. Jesus Christ is the groom. The church is his bride. The father is the centerpiece. We, as the people of God, are the church. We represent the bride of Christ being married to Jesus and aligning under the unity of the Father. We talked about the word submission is not a bad word. We talked about that that word submission means to align together under authority for military formation. It is a warfare word that puts us in position so that we can best counter the enemy's attacks and walk in the fulfillment of our power. So today as we talk about sexuality inside of marriage and God's Design, it's important that we make sure we hear the phrase inside of marriage. I will show you something in just a little bit to help you understand a little bit more what I'm talking about. But sex and sexuality is something that honestly has, has been stolen. It, it has been taken hostage. It has been perverted, twisted, weaponized. Um, I was molested as a five, six-year-old kid by an 18-year-old cousin. My innocence was stolen. I had to fight my whole childhood for my sexual identity, for my masculinity. And so this is a topic that is pretty serious to me because I came in, I, I was 17 years old when I rededicated my life and I began to actually deal with some of the issues that I had inside of me. So many broken places. As a young teenager, trying everything I could to prove my masculinity. Children are not supposed to be aware of sexual things. A child that is aware of sexual things is a child who has been victimized, period, the end. There's an age of innocence. They shouldn't know certain things. And I know this firsthand because as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, I was fully sexually aware because of the spiritual attack that had been rendered my way. So I saw the world from a different lens as a child that a child shouldn't see it through. And I had to battle against a spiritual tormentor, an assignment. The Bible says that, these, that there are demonic assignments, spiritual demonic assignments, tormentors from, from Satan that come after us. And I had to fight for that. Coming into marriage as a 21-year-old, I brought a lot of baggage. My wife and I had both had experiences, and we brought a lot of baggage. And honestly, we've spent 
a couple decades unpacking suitcases and doing laundry. Because of past history, things we went through as kids and teenagers. So this is a serious subject. And it's a subject that a lot of people have had bad experiences. They've had sex weaponized against them, used against them, used to control and manipulate. And our world is, 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 has gone down a, a wretched path. Many of us, um, our first encounters with the idea of romance were in a cartoon called Pepe Le Pew. Remember this guy? In the 1940s, he taught everybody what it was like to be a French lover. I want to introduce you to myself. I am your lover. Come here, my little cup of gumbo. I am your shrimp sizzling for you. You remember? <laughs> Pepe love you. His job to chase, to chase. You'll see a couple different images on the screen. Pursuing the female cat who wanted nothing to do with him. He was the president and founder of the Me Too movement. Harvey Weinstein learned everything from Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> but if you just kept pushing and pursuing and forcing and making, then finally they would fall in love. And this is what a lot of us grew up since the 1940s watching this kind of stuff. And an entire generation of parents were silent. The, 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 the builders of our nation they came through the Great Depression. They were so dignified and noble. They didn't talk to their kids about stuff. Everything was quiet. Everything was family business. I remember my mom, who was born in, in, in the late 30s, I believe 1939. And as a 16-year-old, in, in the early 50s, she was told, don't hold hands with boys. That's how you get pregnant. <laughs> Parents wouldn't talk about it. So you enter into relationships, the most important relationship of your life, oftentimes not knowing anything. I have friends, I've known people, I've worked with many, many people that the way they learned about sex was someone, an uncle or a father that dropped a pornographic magazine or tape or something and said, here, learn about sex this way. And people's entire education has been hijacked by something that God created. I remember a time specifically was when I was engaged to Jennifer. And I told you a story a couple weeks ago about Chinese dinner and fortune cookies. And, and um, I got in trouble for that one. <laughs> but it, don't, it doesn't stop me. So here's my next story. Um, <laughs> when I was engaged to Jennifer... I was on the U.S. Taekwondo team. I was traveling the world. I was fighting all over. I was fighting competitors um, and had, a, had a, a whole lot of people that I was competing, fighting against. One of the guys that I fought against was a U.S. Uh, Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL. He was six foot six, 200 pounds. I was five foot seven, 153 pounds. I've never been hit harder in my life by this guy. His girlfriend... When she found out, and they were, he was older, 28, 29, when his girlfriend found out that I was engaged, she came to have an intervention with me. Um, she felt she was an expert on the issue and thought she could give me some really good life advice, maybe because she was uh, an employee, a high-level employee at a company, a uh, very, very um, moral company uh, called Hooters. And um, she was the chief Hooter girl, head Hooter recruiter. <laughs> 
of all nationwide. And so as an expert on relationships, she thought she would coach me. And her conversation with me was this. She said, Joel, you're young, you're, you're good looking, you got the world by the tail, you own your own business. Why in the world would you want to get married? I, I began to explain to, to her how much I love Jennifer, and Jennifer was the one. And she said to me, but Joel, why would you buy the cow if you could just drink the milk for free? And I, and I looked at her, I said, well, number one, she's not a cow. <laughs> number two, I'm not drinking the milk yet. Because I made a vow to God when I was 17 that I would save myself for my wife. So I'm not drinking milk yet. And I'm looking forward to it once I get married, but, but I'm not buying a cow. She was astounded, she didn't know what to think. She said, but Joel, it's like, it's like eating one flavor of ice cream for the rest of your life. Do you really wanna have vanilla? She's trying really hard to, and I guess confused that she had no powers over me. I said, she said, do you really want vanilla ice cream for the rest of your life? I said, man, I love vanilla ice cream. <laughs> so versatile. Put whipped cream on it, chocolate chips, fudge, brownies, all, sprinkles. You can do all kinds of stuff. With vanilla ice cream, I'm sure we'll be just fine. I finally deterred her, and she left me alone. And some of you all are still wondering about the whipped cream and stuff like that. That's not a part of this message. I'm sorry. <laughs> The most important thing you understand is that sex belongs to God. God is the creator of sex. It's part of his design. It's part of his master, master plan and his masterpiece. And if you are not careful, you could be misled and misaligned with thinking that sex is dirty, perverse, twisted, a weapon, because you've exceeded, listen, why does every commercial have some kind of sexuality attached to it? Everyone drinking beer after beer after beer and they all have perfect six pack abs and look great in bikinis. Why don't they show the pudgy hairy people? <laughs> Sex sells. Every TV show, every movie. I mean, th things that it, it would, you would think would have nothing to do with, but it's there. Every billboard. We have a massively sexualized culture, and the church at large has relinquished their position of authority, sadly because of many scandals, sadly because of really bad doctrine. Early in the uh, age of the church, there was a twist on something that Paul had said, and so there was a doctrine of celibacy and abstinence, and anyone that made the decision to live a life as a teacher or a priest for God had to take a vow of celibacy, something that is not biblical. I'll read to you in just a little while where that comes from, but because of a forced mandate of abstinence, perversion ran rampant, and the church has relinquished this position. I remember growing up and seeing this lady on TV in the 1980s. Dr. Ruth Westheimer, who was the, do you remember this? Do you remember Dr. Ruth? Do we have her? The little German, four foot seven, expert on all things sexual. 
She's actually got a fantastic story. If you read her story, she's a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, really amazing story to read her story. But her, her intention was good because she wanted to help people. Her catchphrase from her TV show, The Dr. Ruth Show, literally two million, one, I mean, massive following. Her catchphrase was get some. That's her catchphrase, trying to help people. But the problem is when you take God out of something that he created, you leave space for all types of misconceptions. You leave space for all types of, of, of confusion and lies and things of that nature. God is the actual authority on sex and God's word is the written authority on sex. It's important. It's important for the church to take its place. One of the reasons that I felt so strongly that I had to do this is because I have two teenage daughters, one almost teenage, one now an adult, and I don't want them learning. We, we have a very open relationship, Jennifer and I, with our kids. We, it, our, our, our philosophy is this, anything they're old enough to ask, they're old enough to hear the truth. That's, that's our philosophy. If they're old enough to ask, they're old enough to hear the truth. We don't need to sugarcoat it. Now, we can make it age-appropriate truth. We don't have to be graphic or whatever, but they need to hear the truth. So we're affectionate on purpose in front of our kids, and they go, ew, gross. And we say, where do you think you came from? <laughs> we go on a trip or whatever, and we want to stay an extra day. We call them back and it, call them and say, hey, girls, we're staying an extra day. And they say, no, come home, we miss you. And we say, hey, do you want mommy and daddy to stay married and be happy? Then let us stay an extra day and enjoy our vacation. I, I mean, just, come on, guys. We, we're just really honest with our kids about this stuff because we want our kids to have good, wonderful, healthy relationships with their husbands in the future. And we want to be a safe place for them to ask questions. I don't want my kids going to some type of worldly sexpert to get their answers. I don't want them learning on YouTube. I, want, I don't want them learning on Google. I don't want them learning from, from Facebook or wherever all these different places. The church needs to take its place and stop being so prude. Because God created it, it belongs to him. It does not belong to the devil. The devil is not a creator. The devil is only a counterfeiter. He doesn't create anything. He twists and lies. He counterfeits. And the church needs to rep recognize that we have a position of authority and we need to take a stand. Amen? So with that said, let's look at the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. I'm um, pardon me. I skipped ahead. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. This is at the creation moment where there was a separation from Adam and Eve was formed. The man said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Everyone say one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Say that phrase, no shame. One flesh, no shame. One flesh, no shame. The imagery, the picture, two people made perfect, flawless. I gotta tell you, when I get to heaven, I wanna see Adam, I wanna see what, what do Adam and Eve look like. They gotta be good looking, right? First, I mean the prototype, gotta be good looking. I gotta see this. You know who else? Sarah. Abraham's wife, Sarah? Dude, she was 75, 80, 90 years old. King's still trying to steal her because she was so good looking. That is a, 
It's a hot tamale right there. I'm just saying, this is what the Bible tells you. God made sex. He made it good. After he made man and woman, he gave them a command to procreate. And he said it is good. Sex in God's design is good. It's pure. It's holy. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's God's design. It has healing properties. It's not just a song that Marvin Gaye made up. It actually has healing properties. It's a part of two fusing and becoming one. It joins you together, joins you back together. I'll show you in scripture. It wasn't until after they fell into sin that they realized that they were naked and felt shame. They hid themselves in the garden. They made clothes to cover up out of big fig leaves. When God asked them why they did this, he said, because we were naked and we were ashamed. And his answer was, who told you you were naked? We were not supposed to connect shame to our nakedness. We weren't supposed to connect shame or guilt to sexuality. It's not God's design. It's the result of the fall of man. It's the result of space being made between husband and wife that the enemy could slip in. Oh, you better, better, better not allow space between you and your spouse. Because the enemy is looking for a foothold. And anger against one another, unforgiveness against one another, gives him a gap to get a foothold. As a big brother, I was an expert at tormenting my little sister. She's an amazing human being. I apologize even now, Summer, if you're watching. Forgive me, I was horrible. But I, I would torture my little sister and tease her and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I would chase her and she would run and she would, she would try to close her door and lock it so I couldn't get in. And I would baseball slide at the last minute and just get, I would sacrifice a toe. Because if I could get a toe in the door, I could wedge my whole self in. If the enemy can get a toehold between you and your spouse, he will wedge himself in. Can't make any room. Jesus said, the enemy has found no place in me. Point number two, sex is God's first command in marriage. You realize that? According to the Bible, according to God and his design for a married couple, it wasn't optional. It was a command. It was the marching orders, the first and foremost marching orders, the number one role for mankind, made naked and unashamed, commanded to fuse back together, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. God gave them a massive territory that the Garden of Eden was. Huge territory. It, it, it overshadowed or, or, or was, was a, a, across multiple uh, countries that are in the Middle East right now. And he told them to fill it. Their number one job, placed in a garden that was full of pleasure, made by God with pleasure centers all over our bodies, nerve centers and pleasure centers all over our body. God designed us to enjoy pleasure. He's a great God. 
He wanted food to taste good. He wanted flowers to smell good to us. He wanted touch to feel good. He made us designed for pleasure and commanded us to enjoy each other as husband and wife. The very first command. Marriage, in marriage, your act of communion between each other is an act of obedience to God. It's an act of worship to God. That sounds weird for some people because some people have, like myself, been through things that made sex seem and feel dirty because of the perversion of the enemy in this world. But in its purest form, in its purest form, it's obedience and worship to the creator and the design that he made us. Because it is the one thing, guys, and that's why in marriage is so important. It's the one thing, the one thing, the one thing that you share with no one else. No other relationship is a one flesh relationship. No other relationship can be that close, that intimate. Now watch this. In the Bible, there's a picture of Moses encountering and enacting with God. And it said that Moses was God's friend and he spoke to God face to face as one man speaks to another. As one human speaks to another. Moses spoke to God face to face. He had that level of intimate relationship. The word in Hebrew used for that face to face communication is the word yada. Yada, it means to know. To know. In Yiddish, they say, yada, yada, yada. It means, you know, you know, you know. Yada is also the exact same word for when a husband knows his wife and becomes one flesh. The same word used to create a picture of intimacy with a husband and a wife is the same word used to show a picture of intimacy with the creator. The most intimate relationship you can have with your spouse, your husband, your wife, is a picture of the intimacy you can have with your creator. Now, I've seen people get really, really weird with this kind of stuff and talk about Jesus as their lover, and please don't get that weird and freaky. No one's gonna wanna get saved if, if, you, uh, if you do that weird stuff. It's awkward enough for, for us dudes to align ourselves with the bride of Christ idea. That's, not, that's kind of a foreign thing um, to us, but it's the picture of the church. The Bible teaches us that marriage is to be honored, that sex inside of marriage is to be celebrated. Did you know the first romantic novel is in the Bible? Did you know that? There's a book in the Bible called The Song of Songs, written by King Solomon, who was actually the expert on, on things concerning love and more. 300 wives, 700 concubines, 1,000 opportunities. Um, and he was just well-known in that regard. He was also given a gift by God. Now, that sounds incredibly weird and foreign to us. In ancient days, it was a common thing for kings to have that type of thing, and it wasn't originally God's design, and it was his downfall in the end. And his, um, a number of, of his books, or some, some of his books, especially Proverbs and, um, and others that 
paint the picture of his sorrow because of his waywardness with women. But you see in Song of Songs, the very first picture, it's in the Bible of romance. The whole book is filled with it. I encourage you to read it. Song of Songs, chapter seven, verse one, how beautiful, this is the groom. This is Solomon speaking to his wife. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels. Some of you single guys, you're gonna pick up some, some great pickup lines here in Song of Songs right here. The work of an artist's hands, your navel is round, is a round goblet that never lacks blended wine. That's a great one if you guys wanna approach ladies nowadays. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Hirschbon by the gate by Beth Rabin. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel and your hair is like royal tapestry. The, king's, the king is held captive by its trusses. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like the cluster of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my beloved flowing gently over my lips and teeth. That's a pretty graphic picture in your Bible of marriage, of a husband and a wife, of passion, of desire, of attraction, shared fantasy inside of God's word. This is God's word. This isn't a romance novel. This isn't isn't a secular work. This is actually God's word condoning husbands and wives being passionately in love with each other. Solomon doesn't stop there. Solomon goes on to give us an illustration inside of Proverbs and a warning of taking sex outside of marriage. Outside of the boundaries of marriage is where the blessing of God is. It's where the favor of God is for this created thing called sex. In fact, marriage is God's container, for lack of a better word, for sex. The same man, Proverbs, Five, Solomon writes in verse one, to his sons now, because of all of his mistakes and all of his woes and all of his errors of his ways, he's writing words of wisdom to his sons. Watch what he says now. He's the expert on doing it wrong. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you might maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey and her speech smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. This is the adulterous woman. He's warning his sons about. He's the expert on it. She gives no thought to her way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me and turn not aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from from her, far or far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to those, to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. This is 
wisdom from an expert on the danger of taking sex outside of the container of marriage. I have a a little illustration for you today. I have a heart inside of a container. This is a Ziploc. It's a double, double Ziploc freezer bag. It, it, It will protect anything you put in this for freezing temperatures. And the heart represents your heart. The Bible says guard your heart. It's the number one thing that I give my daughters is advice. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your, don't give your heart away. Oh, there's nothing worse than teenage heartbreak. It's horrible. Not mature enough. Brain's not developed enough to handle that type of pain and sorrow. I've buried kids. Good kids. Great personalities, leaders of of football teams. I've buried kids, performed funerals for kids. They gave their heart away and put it in a temporary container. They couldn't handle the heat. See, this container, it'll, it'll, it'll protect if it's cold, but it won't protect if it's hot. I can't take it. It's not made for that. It's a temporary container. It's not a long-term container. It's not a, it's not a container that can last. I'm glad I got baptism over here. I told you I like to play with fire. Here we go. That's a good one. All right, there we go. We got it. You guys get the picture? This container is not meant for the heat. The Bible says don't ignite the fire of passion before it's time. Don't ignite the fire of passion before it's time. The number one thing in this Song of Solomon that's going back and forth between the groom and the bride was about the timing of the fire. The fire is meant for a container that can take heat. This container can take heat. Doesn't matter, I can have a blowtorch on it. It can be 600 degrees. This is a container that can take heat. Marriage is the container that God made to take the heat of a sexual relationship. You want to ruin a great friendship? Have sex. You think you met the one? You want to destroy it before it's time? Have sex. You'll turn the heat up way too hot, way too quick. Because sex is not meant for a temporary container. It's meant for a container that can take the heat. It's meant for a container that is forever. And the next thing that Solomon teaches here in Proverbs chapter 5 is the importance of keeping the fire going. You can't afford in your relationship to let the fire go out. You 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 can't afford to stop lighting that fire. You can't afford it. Because if the fire goes out, separation is next. Doesn't mean you actually separate as a marriage, but you begin to build lives that are separate. He goes on his trips, does his things. She has her hobbies, does her things. They pass each other. No more spark, no more fire. Kids grow up 
move out of the house, nothing left to hold them together. Devastating. Oh, my kids are old enough. My kids can handle it. They're adults. I mean, look, we made it through it. It's devastating at every age. Proverbs 5, verse 13. This is the instruction from Solomon to his sons. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. He equates the young wife as your source of refreshment and source of life. You can't live without water. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets and your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. My son, be intoxicated with another man's wife, why? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines your paths, the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Drink water from your own well. Don't ever share. Be blessed. Let it rejoice in your wife, your spouse. Be satisfied always. Can I tell you the number one thing, the number one thing, the number one thing? The passage is so good. More than just having the discipline to not go astray is the discipline to not let your eyes go astray. See, because Jesus said, if your eyes go astray, if you lust with your eyes, it's the same. See, what happens, what happens is in marriage, because guess what? Things change, bodies change, chemistry changes, desire levels change, hormones change, lots of stuff changes. But what you allow your eyes to fantasize on Massively important. This verse, I guarantee you this verse saved my marriage. Because as a 21, 22-year-old man, I made a commitment and a vow that I would only look at my wife. That I would only desire, doesn't mean I don't recognize and notice that someone's attractive. But I only look at my, I don't allow, there's no room in my life for any outside fantasy. There's no room in my life for any outside desire. I don't allow my eyes to look at those things in desire. That's the only place. I have one place that is my heart's desire, one place that, that, is, that, it, that will fulfill me. That's it. I know this is real, this is kind of real, real talk. But a lot of people let their eyes go somewhere else and they lose this verse. And the thing that's actually the greatest gift and the greatest blessing no longer gets the fire lit because they're looking at other things that are counterfeits and fakes. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, The 
Marriage should be honored by all. It is the prime relationship, the premier relationship to be honored by all. Watch, and the marriage bed kept pure. The marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keeping your marriage bed pure, what does that mean? It's the opposite of adulterer and sexually immoral. Don't bring outside influences into your marriage bed. Don't bring outside influences. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, uh, I mean, there are lots of Christian uh, books and Christian things that you can read and learn and, and whatever, all that kind of stuff. That's great. That's wonderful. But I'm talking about immoral things. Don't bring immoral things. Keep it pure. Keep it pure. Uh, one translation of this says the marriage bed is undefiled. And a lot of people think that means that you can do anything you want inside of that. And I would say that's true. Except bring in things that are defiling. Husband and wife, consensual, making each other happy, it's wonderful, go for it, have fun. Just don't bring in the world. That makes sense? Don't bring in the world. Because the world feeds something else. And soon the thing that should be satisfying you is no longer satisfying you because your eyes have drifted somewhere else. Next big misconception. Sex is about giving, not about getting. It's about giving, not about getting. Dr. Ruth said, getting. People say, I, I, they talk about getting some. It's not about you getting. Remember, it's not about selfishness. It's about giving. It's, it's one of the greatest gifts that you can give your spouse. The gift of unity. The gift of harmony, the gift of, of, of one flesh, something that God said is beautiful, something God said is pure, to command, something God has made very clear. First Corinthians verse seven and one gives a very, and this is, this is the passage that was taken and twisted and perverted uh, by high-level people in the church to promote um, uh, abstinence and and celibacy doctrine, because Paul is teaching, and he's teaching a principle. First Corinthians seven one says, "Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marriage duty to his wife. Paul says that that sexual relationship is." a husband's marriage duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife, watch this, the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. He was celibate. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Paul did not say that everyone should be celibate. He was made in a, in a manner that he had no desire for that and, 
And so he chose to be celibate. He thought it was best for his personal life mission. Some people have that calling. Some people don't. It's wrong to put it on someone that doesn't because it will destroy them. But what this passage says is that your body, sir, isn't yours. It's hers. So quit faking headaches, because we all know you do it. Guys. <laughs> Saying you're too tired, guys, quit that stuff. Selfish. You see the picture here. I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to her. I am hers. She belongs to me. We belong to each other. If two people represent and understand, I am God's gift to this person and I exist to serve and please and meet the needs and help this person. If you have two people fully giving themselves to each other, there's no room for the devil. No room. Because you have two selfless people giving themselves to each other, trying to find out what makes you happy, what pleases you, what makes you feel good, how can I serve you? If you have that, there's no room for the devil. This verse gives one reason to abstain from sex inside of marriage. A time of prayer and fasting. None of y'all pray that much. <laughs> a, a, an agreed upon it even says mutual agreement upon a short period of time to dedicate yourself to pray and then it says come back together quickly why why so the devil doesn't have room devil doesn't have room it's one of the most important things guys most important things gals that you understand that you belong to your spouse. You are a gift to your spouse. Your job is to give yourself to your spouse at the highest level possible. Now, that doesn't mean there are not times. The Bible also does talk about seasons of separation due to times of sickness or times of disease or times of different cycles and things of that nature. I understand, and please don't hear me coming across as harsh. I know that there are lots of different things that happen inside of relationships. Um, I know that there are, are different medical conditions and medical concerns and things of that nature. There's no condemnation inside of, my, inside of this uh, message, nothing in there, uh, in this for that is uh, on, in any way, on any level. It's not where, that's not my angle. That's not what I'm going for. Because there are times and there are seasons of, of separation. And there are times and things that happen in life, and that's, that's part of life. I, I know young people can't ever imagine this, but, but you actually, at certain levels, at certain ages, you just have a lower desire, and you have a different rhythm of life, and that's wonderful, and that's fine, and everyone finds their rhythm and all that type of thing. That's just fine. I once knew a guy that he was 82. He said, come here, come here, give me a hug. I'm, I'm so old, all I can do is hug. <laughs> he, was, he was done with everything else. Now he's just a hugger now. That's still a little creepy though. Um, <laughs> little creepy, Grandpa. Don't give Satan access in your marriage. See, this goes both ways, guys. I, I, I've been in ministry for over 20 years. I've counseled lots of people. I, I had a, a young man come to me with a, with a concern uh, about his marriage, that he was having a really hard time because his, his wife wouldn't leave him alone. He's like, I can't, I, she just won't leave me alone. She won't leave me alone. She's uh, every day, every day, all the time, all the time, won't leave me alone. And I, and I looked at him, I said, I would probably keep that quiet around your friends because your friend's gonna wanna punch you in the face. But, but his wife had a sickness. 
I mean, she had an actual sickness. She, she had an addiction, and it was tied into her past. She had a, a something messed up, and it, it, the marriage couldn't make it. I had another friend that would complain because his wife wanted certain things, and he's like, why is it? And he wanted it to be what he wanted. And I'm like, you're an idiot. You're just an idiot. Your job is to give selflessly. It's not about you. See, it goes both ways. It's not just... It's not just, because the, 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 the common thing is that it's always the man that wants more. and does, it's, it's, Every relationship's different. Every relationship's different. And we have to make sure that we are in a giving heart. So, five quick words. Five quick words to close. Number one, be obedient to God. Number two, be generous to your spouse. Number three, be consensual in agreement with your spouse. Number four, be creative with your spouse. Number five, be healing with your spouse. Obedient to God's design. Be obedient with God's design. Be obedient. It's part of worship. Be generous. Don't be stingy. Be consensual. Find the right rhythm. Meet in the middle. Take care of each other. Find what the other person likes. Find a place of agreement. Do your best. Be creative. Keep the spark going. This is where the whipped cream and sprinkles come in. Have fun. Lastly, be healing. Be healing. Be healing. Understand, there are times where there's separation. There are times when the last thing you want to do is come together. And it's actually potentially the most important thing you do. To create healing. To, cre- to take out the gaps so the enemy can't get in. If you're single, I want to encourage you, be obedient to God and wait, 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 wait. Don't put yourself in this position. Don't put yourself in a heartbreak position. Don't put yourself in a position where you can ruin your life. Wait, God will honor it. He'll honor it. I want to pray for you today. I know that there are different people in different stages of life, different places of challenge. Marriages that are in different stages and, and challenges and, and, and things of that nature. And I want to pray for you. Um, I'm also fully aware that there may be people here today that, and people watching online that this strikes a chord with them. And you may be in a place where you feel like you need to repent for something. And I want to encourage that. That's always a goal. That, that if the Holy Spirit's convicting you and drawing you to a place where you need to repent for something, I want to encourage that with all my heart. If you need to go to your spouse and repent, maybe you've been trying to push things that, that, that the other partner's not ready for yet, or maybe you've been withholding. Guys, withholding is a weapon. It's a weapon. Both sides can do it. It's a weapon. God commands you to give yourself generously, to heal, to become one, to, to take out the space of the enemy. So if there's something in your life that has triggered a, a need for repentance, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to follow the voice of God and follow the heart of God. Father, I thank you right now for the people of God in this room. God, I know there are lots of us in different stages of life and different different places in life, different parts and stages of our relationship. Father, I ask you to give your wisdom and shine your light into these relationships. Father, for those that are in this room that are single, give them the courage. Give them the courage. Give them the tenacity to wait to not start the fire of passion before it's time, to not put themselves in places where they can be injured and hurt and potentially destroyed. 
Father, for those that are in marriage, that are in those strong marriage relationships, or actually even they could be in a very fragile marriage relationship. God, would you humble them? Would you help them to forgive? Would you help them to release and to open their hearts back up again? Father, your word says that divorce only happens because of one thing, one thing, Jesus, you said this, hard hearts, hard hearts. God, would you soften hearts today? And would you reunite love today? Would you reignite passion and fire inside of the marriages of these people that are connected at Oaks Church today? Father, would you release a, a, a passion for, uh, for purity, Father, and for honoring you and obeying you and worshiping you inside of this house? God, would you heal marriages today? Would you release your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy? Let them overflow with mercy and grace to each other. Let them stop making excuses and saying, well, yeah, but, well, you don't know, Joel. You don't know, Joel. Father, would you create a space for forgiveness right now, for healing right now? Would you rid the marriage of bitterness, rid the marriage of resentment, rid the marriage of unforgiveness right now and release your grace, your grace, more forgiveness, more favor, more mercy in the name of Jesus. And Father, would you ignite the fire of passion for those that are inside of, of marriage, covenant relationships, and bring incredible joy to them whatever season they're in. Father, help them to find out whatever it is that meets the need and, and brings joy to their spouse in every way, shape, and form. Father, give them the hunger and the desire to be servants of their spouse, pleasers of their spouse. Father, let the marriages of Oak Church become a picture of strength, of dignity, of honor. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Father, there's anybody here in this room that needs to make themselves right with you today. God, would you draw them to you right now? Draw them to you right now. Anyone that needs to get their life right with God, that needs to come to Jesus, draw them right now. In Jesus' name. I'm gonna pray a quick prayer. If you need to get right with Jesus today for any reason, you need to give your life to him for any reason, pray this prayer. Say this, say, Father, Forgive me for my sin. Make me new today. I give my life to you. I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, Thanks again for listening and have a great week.